Hey folks, welcome to the first of many special summer episodes right here on the Inside Line F1 podcast. Yes, the races might be over and done with for the next 3 weeks, but the content and the fun and the energy just never stops on the Inside Line F1 podcast and we can't wait to share all the episodes that we've recorded in this particular summer break and trust me, they're going to be a lot of fun. So to stay up to date with them, don't forget to subscribe to the Inside Line F1 podcast. But now, on to the subject of today's episode. Kunal has recently been chatting to Michael Italiano who officially is known as the physiotherapist of Daniel Ricardo but I genuinely find it very very hard to call him just that because Michael's role is very much broader than that it's so encompassing and he'll be explaining us exactly what he does with Daniel over the course of this particular episode but that's not the only thing he talks about over the course of this episode Michael also talks to us about a fresh term that I'm sure not many of us might have heard about It's called jet lag protocols and he says it's one of the more important things in maintaining the health and fitness and the sharpness of all Formula 1 drivers throughout the season. Apart from that we also discuss how much of an impact porpoising has had in terms of changing the preparation of all the Formula 1 drivers and most importantly for this particular moment he discusses how Daniel tackles all of his career challenges mentally and that of course as we all know is very very relevant to the particular situation that Daniel unfortunately finds himself to be in. So How does Daniel do that? How does he look at his challenges and more often than not end up win- end up winning against him? That is exactly what Kunal has been discussing with Michael. Here we go. All right, so big hello and welcome to Michael Italiano. Uh we've had him before uh on video, not so much on audio, but it's great to uh, have you on the show Michael. Thank you so much for uh you know spending time with me uh, this morning to talk about the role of a physio uh when it comes to uh formula 1 drivers and these extra long seasons that we're seeing and michael i i guess a lot of that also comes with his mental well-being and that's something you said at the start of uh you know at the start of a conversation as well that you also end up acting as a mental coach as well any anything you can elaborate uh, a little more on that like you know given the pressure and the constant always on social media especially on the criticism that could come one's way how do how do drivers end up coping with uh, with so so much of pressure yeah thanks for thanks for having me on canal it's uh, it's nice to speak to you and uh, yeah i think having a healthy internal environment and um, a healthy team internal team it definitely helps you know where you you know because there's going to become a time in your life whether you're an athlete or just to, you know a uh, a normal person working 9 to 5 where you know you, you're going to need times where you, you're going to need to lean on people and ask for advice and that's that's kind of where you know we come in as coaches where you know you can be a sounding board and when they need a vent you know it's that you're there to to let them vent and when they want a you know a, a different opinion or a different um i guess look on something you know they they can come to you for for your for your advice and um i think that definitely that's definitely very very important to make sure that you have a very close um and trustworthy internal team where you can lean on them at times because yeah being a professional athlete it's, it's a it's a high pressure environment right you know it's a lot of eyes on you a lot of expectations especially formula 1 um so i i think that's making sure that you are very open and trustworthy and and willing to listen is a, is is a big one um i think that's a, a big big part of i guess being a coach and then you know there are things that we focus on throughout the the race weekend where you know mentally getting him in in 
in the zone. Um, you know, usually on a Wednesday, I like for him to vent on the Wednesday of anything that's bothering him or anything that he wants to get off his chest. That way then, come Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's full focus on the race. Yeah, and you know, the other visual was this very famous meme of Daniel wearing a headset and just grooving to music and some of these things that, you know, drivers do pre-session to sort of get into the zone and the likes. And I believe, uh, if I remember correctly, you actually have been friends with Daniel since many, many years. So falling into this role and fitting in was probably easier for you as well, Michael. Yeah, yeah. I've I've known Daniel since I was 12. Um, So I I think, so I think, yes, getting, um, initially getting into the role was a bit easier because we were friends, but it also had its you know, it had its um, tweaking phase where, you know, I had to kind of understand when to put my friend hat on, but also when to put my coaching hat on. And then Daniel also had to get used to understanding when I'm coaching him and when I understand when I'm, I'm his friend. And I think that, so the, so the transition was definitely, I, I would probably say easier. I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't been in, an, in a different circumstance, but there were definitely, there were definitely aspects of of the relationship that we definitely needed to, I guess, get accustomed to both of us. That's a, uh, that's a uh, very interesting to know, given how, you know, I remember growing up to listening to stories of how Balbir Singh spent more time with Michael Schumacher through a season than the Schumacher family itself. So I'm guessing, you know, if you've already been friends since before, it's probably easier. Uh, and I recollect uh, when you all traveled to Australia, you all actually ended up, uh, uh isolating yourselves uh, in a hotel room or in a hotel at least for a long time so having a friend at that time is probably uh you know a big benefit but uh, you know we've seen how teams have different setup packages and different car parts for different races of the season depending on the requirements is it a high speed circuit is it a high downforce circuit and uh, a low downforce circuit and so on uh you know, do you also sort of have a sort of gradation that, uh, you know, races and what's the physical demands that they place on the driver and the degree of those demands sort of dictate how you would end up training Daniel. So just like how, you know, engineers and mechanics have different setups, do you also have different grades of, uh, you know, physical training that Daniel has to go through before you go to a race? Yeah, that's a great question. And to answer your question, yes, Um, heat, heat and is a big one so if we know we're going to a hot race we will do some um, heat uh, acclimation training uh, prior to get him used to the, the climate we're about to enter um, altitude is another big one you know if we know we're going to to a place like mexico where you know you're 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 quite a, a long long way above sea level um, that can also play a part on your endurance um, so, so that's another that's another factor that we take into consideration. The jet lag, you know, um, the, and the travel time are kind of together. So, how big the, the time difference is, and, and how much, how many hours in the air have we have we been in to get to that country? Um, and then, yeah, the physicality of the track. There's different tracks that that, that um, are a lot more physical. You know, Saudi and Miami being two obvious ones that are that are extremely physical on the neck, and Miami was very physical from a, a climate perspective and a track perspective um i'm going to say that probably will, that probably will be the most physical track on the calendar um if it stays where it is from on you know based on where it is it at the moment in may very hot very humid um and the track is also very physical so that was i think uh, yeah there's a, there's a lot of parameters there that that i'll take into consideration to, to prep 
for the, that particular race. Um, Abu Dhabi is another, another tough one. Singapore is another tough one. Um, but yeah, I guess that's what, that's what my job is, right? To, uh, to think ahead and make sure that he's prepared for those races. But, but those are, yeah, I'd say those are probably the, the main elements that I focus on. And hence, which is probably the most physically demanding races on the calendar? Uh, Miami and Saudi, I would probably put those two. And, and Budapest, if Budapest gets really hot at the start of August, that's also a, a tough one. But uh, if I had to round out a top five, I would probably throw Singapore in there and probably Abu Dhabi. I actually was uh, wondering where Silverstone would line up on on the list of you know physically demanding races. But I guess drivers have driven there so much that you almost don't feel it as as physical as some of the other races. And the weather is probably a, you know the mixed weather probably helps uh, settle in as well. You know something that I. Uh, personally wanted to know about you know specific to immunity i mean you know we're looking at 22 24 25 races that's being discussed now an average human and i'm speaking more about myself here you tend to pick up a flu you fall sick you have kids going to school bringing home viruses etc various various things that you know uh, you could just tend to fall sick now how is it that a driver actually is capable of maintaining such high immunity and not falling sick, basically. Uh, and, you know, being able to be 100% in shape for such long uh, calendars. Yeah, it's extremely tough. And, and what people have to realize is it's 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 their job, right? So th- their job is to technically stay healthy. So I guess that's another, another role that we play um, is ensuring that they're following consistent jet lag protocols to get to get onto the, the correct time zone as, as, as quick as possible. Um, you know, g- general hygiene habits as well. So wearing face masks on planes, using hand sanitizer on planes, um, making sure you're, you're choosing uh, appropriate food options when you're, when you're in, you know, unfamiliar countries that, you know, you might not, your, your body might not be able to tolerate because you're obviously, you know, be, being, being Westerners, we, <laughs> We're very, we're very sensitive to particular foods, which is something that you have to accept. Um, sleep is a massive one, you know, sleep, um, getting sunlight, getting vitamin D, you know. So it's, it's these basic lifestyle principles that really go a long, long way to, to, to being healthy. And, you know, supplementation is another big one that, that we really stick to, making sure you're getting in your healthy vitamins, um, eating, eating, eating very well. So nutritional dense foods. Um, and it's, it's all these things that add up to keeping yourself healthy and, and in tune and most importantly, sharp to be prepared to race. I'm going to ask you a question a little deeper about jet lag protocols. I've actually heard of jet lag, but not about jet lag protocols. Is that something you could, you know, explain a little more in detail, given that we've just had, you know, back to back races, fly, fly away races. Of course, now the calendar is more in the European, uh, you know, section of the season, but I'd love to hear more about a jet lag protocol. Yeah, but I mean, when we're going from European race to European race, it definitely makes it a lot easier. But um, Baku, Baku to Canada is a big one. You know, it's eight-hour time zone difference. And generally speaking, it takes um, one day per one hour to get used to. So, for you know, for an eight-hour time difference, it should take eight days to fully climatize to, to wow. the, the time zone. So, so you could say phys- it was physically... <laughs> It's physically impossible to be fully fully in the time zone by the Sunday of the race in Montreal. But so, you know, so that's one thing you have to consider when the jet lag protocol is the time difference. 
So, you know, if, if it is a four hour time difference, you, you want to get, or four or five hour time difference, you want to get to that particular uh, region, you know, four or five days prior to the race, right? Um, and right. then the, there are systems in place that, you know, that there are some key parameters that you need to focus on when it comes to jet lag protocols is, is meal timings. So getting onto the, you know, meal timings onto as, as early as quick as possible to the actual time zone you're, you're traveling to. Um, uh, light exposure. So making sure that, you know, when it is, you are getting the light exposure when needed. So first thing in the morning, go get yourself 10 minutes of light and then dimming all your lights by 6 p.m. that night. Uh, caffeine timing is another powerful, powerful way to get yourself um, onto the time zone. So you can you can really do some some fantastic things with caffeine um, to get yourself onto the time zone and exercise. Exercise works um, very, very well um, within the jet lag protocol to, to transition your body um, to getting it winding down and, and ready for sleep when uh, when need be. So the, these are probably the four or five key elements that we focus on and that we use um, when getting onto time zones. Um, Baku and Canada being uh, a very difficult one, and I think we've got some tricky ones coming up. You know, Singapore into, into Japan is another tricky one. Um, so, yeah, it, it, look, it, it's not – it's not something we're, we're unfamiliar with. It's just, it's something that you, it's probably the most important aspect of, of, of racing is making sure that you get that right. Well, I actually had uh, a visual of you waking up Daniel at two in the morning saying, all right, Daniel, sorry, I know you need to sleep, but it's time to eat breakfast and acclimatize to the, oh, the no, well, you know, I, the time zone. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. That'd be, that'd be, a, that'd be a grumpy Daniel if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a grumpy Daniel. I mean, uh, so so I, I mean, he's one of the chirpiest characters in the in the paddock, I must say. But you know, sticking to the 2022 cars, you know, uh, we've known that these cars are much quicker, especially when it comes to cornering. They are heavier to drive, pretty much of a handful. Uh, any more physical? Yeah, I mean, is Daniel needing to train more to tackle these cars than the previous era of cars? Of course, keeping purposing aside. No, not really, because every year, besides um, taking away the, the 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 new, I guess, setup of the cars, um, every year it's, it's such an innovative sport, right? So every year the cars are getting quicker, no matter no matter what's being reinforced. So we kind of we always had the same mindset that whatever our PBs are the year before, we need to better them, right? Because there's going to be these cars are going to be faster, they're going to have more downforce. Um, and you know when you've got more downforce and you've got you know more um, quicker t- cornering, you know you, you're going to experience more g-force on the body, on the neck. So um, our attitude didn't tra- change at all in this preseason, and it won't change for next season. It's it's you know the, the concept is the same that the cars are getting quicker, so physically um, we need to get better every year. Irrespective of whatever the car is going to be, we've got to make sure that we are as physically tip-top in shape as, you know, one can be. And, you know, you've spent a lot of years with Daniel and just the way, you know, drivers are adapting to the newer cars from this year. Uh, you've sort of made that adaptation as well. And, you know, we've heard how these cars are far different from their predecessors. But sticking to a comparison, you know, did any of the previous era of Formula One cars that Daniel has driven suffer from purposing at any point? From what I'm aware of, no, no. There, there was, there was from the previous eras. I mean, I, I've been with Daniel since start of eighteen, and I haven't seen any, any, any of these characteristics that we're seeing this year. Um, yeah, 
be similar within 18, 19, 20 or 21. So clearly it is the ground effect uh, cars that are a bit more of a handful. And I assume that they're also laying more emphasis on the role of a physio this season. I mean, with the porpoising uh, and, and all the effects that you had to train for, especially then with the recovery and the likes, do you sort of have to do more work with Daniel through the course of a season? And, you know, we've got back-to-back races. So recovery time is also not as as much as before, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say we're more important this year than any other year. I, I think d- definitely if people understand the role of a coach, it's it's a very um, diverse role, you know, you, you know, from from, uh, from strength and conditioning, from the nutrition, from preparing him to race, um, being a soundboard sounding board and, and even just being a mental coach for them and, and helping them through you know the, the tough times and, and and the pressures that formula one bring and um and that's not just um the internal pressure but the external pressures are massive as well you know we talked about 23 races you know i think jet lag itself is just a, a massive pressure itself so um yeah I, I wouldn't say i'm doing more work than 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 the year prior to be honest i, I think if anything it's getting a little bit easier pre-COVID. I, th- I felt the COVID years were quite difficult because of the the, re- the restrictions on traveling and and our requirements and what, what we needed to do in order to get to one place to the other and how restricted we were within uh, the constraints of a hotel. So I actually found that was more difficult than than this year. I think this year is actually becoming more normal. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm actually, I think this is more enjoyable to be honest. <laughs> Put, putting the porpoising out of it yeah hopefully they find a solution and you know it sort of goes away soon enough for the drivers as well as as the as you guys because you know i'm sure it's uh it's it's something new that you have to cope with and like you know like we discussed just before recording even kevin mcnewson's trainer said yeah it is a sort of a safety thing uh you know because you sort of tend to uh feel uh your car from your lower back but uh, which is the most popular topic. It's like the buzzword for the season, you know, porpoising, you know. What are the effects that you have seen on drivers and most specifically Daniel Ricciardo this season when it comes to porpoising? Yes, porpoising has been uh, the hot topic this year for sure. Lucky enough for McLaren, they uh, they didn't they didn't experience porpoising the first five, six rounds. So we we were one of the the teams who were kind of outside the limelight when it came to porpoising and Mercedes and Ferrari were, were kind of the more uh, aggressive cars that that show, showcased the, the aggressive porpoising. Um, however, I will say as of as of Baku, uh, McLaren have made some changes and, and uh, porpoising has started to occur. And uh, what I have noticed is that it does uh, it does impact the driver. I mean, it's it's very very I think clear and and predominantly obvious when you know the athletes are getting out of the car that you can see that they're in a little bit of discomfort. Um, you know, I think Baku was a was a great example of how extreme the porpoising can be. I think that's as that's as worse as it will will get for this for the season when it comes to porpoising. Um, I also think, uh, yeah, Daniel. I mean, I can only I can only comment based on my driver, of course. Um, you know what the porpoising caused. I think, I think Daniel had quite a severe headache after after Baku and uh, a lot of lower back pain. So that that were the, the two main, I guess, uh, parameters that came with uh, the porpoising effect of the cars. And like, how do you sort of deal with it? So what's what's the recovery? 
process for you? I'm sure it's different than the previous season. So how did you sort of help Daniel recover from, uh, you know, the lower back pain first and then, of course, the, the headache? Yeah, so a lot of massage. So we got a lot of massage into him straight after the race, Monday, Tuesday, a lot of static stretching, a lot of dynamic stretching and just keeping him moving. Um, I just just didn't want him just doing nothing and sitting on a couch all day. I think it just make matters worse and it was really just lock him up. So yeah, there was a strong emphasis on recovery and not not much of an emphasis on, on training or exercising, just trying to get him feeling right because it's, it's something that his body hasn't endured before you know you, you, you can't really train for porpoising you can you can do a little bit from from spinal loading but it's something that he his body had never experienced before and then he went straight into baku and that's that's the extreme of the extreme so he kind of went from zero to 100 and yeah he's <laughs> he's t- t- to be fair his his body felt it but he wasn't as bad as what i thought he'd be so um yeah a lot of emphasis on recovery um and, and sleep but uh, look, he, he's fine, and um, I, I think these teams will definitely will definitely find a a way around it for sure. And, and like you said, I, I don't think there'll be much porpoising in Silverstone, so that's a good thing. But uh, thanks uh, so much for this quick uh, chat and a very insightful chat, Michael. Uh, wish you uh, and Daniel a fantastic uh, upcoming race uh, at Silverstone. And, uh, you know, as the season progresses, I hope to have, you know, bits and pieces of more insights on driver training, performance and recovery. So you'll hear from me fairly soon. No, no worries, Kanal. Thank you so much for having me on. And, uh, yeah, thanks for the interesting questions. I always uh, always like when you've got uh, a passionate F1 person asking some pretty uh, pretty technical <laughs> questions. It's uh, It's good. So thank you. You're welcome, and I, I promise to keep you stumped uh, the next time then, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it on. Thank you for listening to this particular episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast, folks. I hope you had a great time listening in. And if you did, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and don't forget to reach out to us on social media as well with our social media handles, of course, down below in the description. But this is, of course, as I mentioned at the start, the first of many special episodes in the summer. We've got lots of fun stuff coming about. And if you want to know more about that, Don't forget to follow us on social media. And more importantly, we also have a very, very, very special announcement to make, which we shall do in the next episode. So stay tuned, folks. I hope you enjoyed this one. Enjoy the summer break and keep listening. Bye-bye.